0: Hi, Chris Valatin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today. And if you're looking for more resources, check out chrisvallotton.com. I want to talk about prayer that shapes history. And so if you have a hand free, why don't you grab the hand of your neighbor? We're going to begin with praying a prayer that will shape you so you can shape history. Father, thank you for everything that you've done for us. This, thanks for this wonderful week. And Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to the authority that you've given us in Jesus Christ to mold and shape history, to be cultural architects that, that, that bend history towards the king and his kingdom. Amen. Amen. I, I want to talk about um, the divine responsibility of mankind to take our divine authority and lead the earth. Uh, prayer is an act of leadership as it authorizes God to do, the wi- do His will on the planet. Let me read this again. Prayer is an act of leadership as it authorizes God to do His will on our planet. Now, what does that mean? Why don't you turn to Genesis chapter one, and I just want to just begin to lay the foundation for what is it that God has for us, both as believers and as humans. And Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And listen to this, let him rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Ladies, isn't it awesome that you have authority over creeps? I just thought it was awesome right from the beginning. The Lord's like, they'll need authority over creeps, and just put it in there right there. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And I don't know how you rule fish, but my wife is doing a pretty good job of catching them. I bought her a boat about two months ago on her maiden voyage that caught 212 fish in four hours. Went out again two days later, three days later, and caught 152 fish. And I went out with her about two weeks ago, and I caught a zero. <laughs> so I'm not doing too good on the authority over fish, uh, but, I, uh, but I love to eat them. My point is that God gave man authority over the earth. The psalmist wrote, the heavens, the highest heavens belong to the Lord but the earth is given to the sons of men. And in in Genesis chapter three, you'll remember the story of the serpent. And the serpent comes into the garden, and you remember that God planted two trees in the garden, the tree of life in which you would eat this tree and live forever, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, in which if you ate that tree, God said, in the day you eat this tree, you shall die. So if you ate the tree of knowledge of good and evil in 24 hours, you would be dead. And the devil, he slithers his way into the garden and he convinces Eve and Adam to eat the apple. And so many times we tell this story that Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Yes, they disobeyed God, but the most powerful thing they did in a negative sense is they didn't just disobey God, they obeyed the devil. What, did you get what I just said? In other words, what I'm getting at is that God gave Adam and Eve, he gave mankind authority over the earth, and mankind, Adam and Eve, gave their their authority to the devil, so he became the god of this world. And then in Luke chapter 4, if you want to turn there, Jesus is in a a fast, a 40-day fast, and he's out in the wilderness, and in verse 5, it says this, and the devil led him let him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. And the devil said to him, I will give you this dominion and its glory, for they have been handed over to me, and you can do, and I give them to whoever I wish. Let me read this last part again. For I, they've been handed over to me, and I give them to whoever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, it will be yours. Where did the devil get dominion and authority? Remember it says, and they've been handed over to me. If you will worship me, I will give you all the dominion and all authority over all the kingdoms of the world if you'll just worship me, because they've been handed over to me and I give them to whoever I wish. Who gave the devil authority? Adam. Are you following me? So the devil, so Adam had authority. Mankind had authority. God intended mankind. God intended humans to be the leaders of the earth. And Adam took his authority, gave it to the devil. This is why God, who created everything, had to become a man. So the Son of God became the Son of Man, so that sons of men could become sons of God. So in Matthew 28, you'll remember this, verse 18, Jesus came, he's, he, he's, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, this is the third day-ish, after the third day, and he, and he said this to them, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I taught you. Now, let me just un- unfold this for a minute. The devil has power. The word is, the, the is deutemus. We get our word dynamite from it. The devil has power, but Jesus said, I will give you power over all the power of the evil one are you with me? But the devil used to have authority over the earth because God gave authority to Adam, and Adam gave his authority to Satan. Are you with me? When Jesus rose from the dead, he took the authority that was given to the devil through Adam, and he won the authority back. So now he says in Matthew 28, All authority has been given to me in heaven, which would not have been a revelation to the Jewish people. They knew that God ruled the heavens. And then he said, and on earth. And when he said on earth, he's saying, guys, I got the keys back. Are you with me? I got the keys back. So not only do you have power that's greater than the power of the devil, but you have authority. He has no authority. You have all authority. Are you following me? And so now, what's the point? God has moved us as born-again people back to the original design, which is you lead the planet. How many know God's in God's in charge, but He's not in control? People hate that statement. I didn't. It doesn't originate with me. God is in charge, but He's not in control. Well, how, what do you mean God's not in control? If God was in control, there would be no murder. There'd be no. There'd be no rape. There'd be no abortion. There'd be no evil. Because how many know if God was in charge and in control, God would take the control from human beings. But God leaves human beings in charge of the planet. Okay, now, this uh, this is really important. It's important that we realize that when we were born, before we knew Christ, we were born a little lower than the angels. But when we received Jesus Christ... We became born, help me, again. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. There are two Greek words for the word new. One means like you got a new car, and the other is the word prototype. You know what a prototype means? The first of its kind? This is the word prototype. It means never before created. When you receive Jesus Christ, You aren't just a human being, you are a new creation. You are a creature that has never graced the planet before. And one of your advantages is, is that you live dual dimensionally. You live on earth and in heaven. Did you get that? You actually were born again, and when you were born again, you were raised up, you were born higher than the angels. When you were born, you were born a little lower than the angels, but when you were born again, you were born higher than angels, and Hebrews 1 says that the angels are servants to those who receive salvation. So you have angel help. Are you with me? You aren't just born again, you have angelic help. The angels listen to your prayers, they actually fulfill your prayer, they actually answer your prayers and fulfill your prophecies. Oh, that's a good word right there. So Ephesians chapter two, Verse 6 says that he raised us up, speaking of Jesus, and he seated, it, seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about this third heaven thing. I was sharing some of this in Congress not too long ago. I was talking, about, I was talking to a whole bunch of congressmen about leading from the third heaven instead of from the first heaven. What does that mean? The first heaven, Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. That heaven is the heaven you can see. We call it the visible world. So you live in the first heaven. We all live in the first heaven. All the stuff we see, it's in what God calls the first heaven. And then Ephesians chapter 6, which we will talk more about in just a minute, but it says that, um, it says there, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers. And it goes on to this list, so I'll read it for, for you in just a minute. In heavenly places. It talks about three it talks about four different principalities who are against us, who are in heavenly places. How many of you know there are no demons in God's heaven? Are you with me? This is what we call the second heaven. Now, you can read the Bible. There's no place in the Bible that says there's a second heaven. It just says there's a third heaven. How many of you know if there's a third heaven, there must be a first and a second? <laughs> so Paul said in, um, in the Bible very powerfully, somewhere. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse two, he said, I knew a man who was taken to the third heaven, and he saw things that were indescribable. And it goes on, as, as Paul you know, writes on, we see that he's actually talking about himself. The point is, is Paul said, I was taken to the third heaven. Are you with me? In other words, we were born in the second heaven, there's a war, I'm sorry, we were born in the first heaven, there is a war in the second heaven, and we were seated in the third heaven. Now, listen to what it says in uh, Ephesians um, chapter 2 about this heaven. It says that Christ was seated far above all rule and authority and every power, and and, and oh, sorry far above all rule, authority, and power, and dominion, and every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Now listen to verse 22. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What's the point? He's using this metaphor and he's saying he's put us above every principality and power, every name that's ever been named. He's put them under your feet. How many know Satan is a name? (laughs) And that name is under your feet. (laughs) Satan lives in the second heaven. You live in the first heaven and the third heaven. Are you with me? See, the challenge is, is that living from the third heaven or living in heavenly places, as the Bible says, that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. I think when that moves from a theology and a philosophy to a reality, it'll change your destiny. The challenge is, is that we have, we have third heaven authority that we often use in first heaven reality. We make humans our enemy. I want to tell you something. The, the, the devil hates Democrats. <laughs> hates them. He hates Republicans. He hates independent people. He hates Russians. He hates Jewish people. He hates black people and white people. Just name a human, he hates them. He doesn't have any friends on earth. You're you're not even getting this. I'm saying, whenever we villainize a human, we actually play in the second heaven scheme because he has no human friends. So we take our third heaven authority and we use it on first heaven people and wondering why we don't change the world. Good point, Chris. Thank you. Too late. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. I've taught this about uh, a month ago, but I think it's important to look at it again. Verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not, everybody say is not, not. is not people, not against flesh and blood. If they have flesh and blood, it ain't your enemy. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I am not your enemy. Neither is your spouse. Okay, let's go on. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers. Everybody look at your Bible right now if you have one. It's against rulers. Listen, you don't come to a battle without a sword. Bring your Bibles to church. Okay. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers. Some of your Bibles will say powers. Some will say principalities but that word rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. In other words, the world changers, history makers, are resisted by world forces of darkness. He's not talking about demons here, he's talking about principalities. Are you with me? Yes. The first principality that he talks about is rulers, or, or it might be the word principality in your book. In other words, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, But against whatever that word is in your Bible, it's actually the Greek word origin. It's the Greek word origin. Okay, now let me explain something. In in most of our cultures, we call people by names, like we like the name John, Mary, Henry, Jane, and the, the name doesn't, it's not usually meaningful. But in the spirit realm, God names the names of spirits by the effect they have on humankind. For example, do you remember when the deaf and dumb boy encountered Jesus and Jesus cast out a deaf and dumb spirit? Yes. Did you know it was called the deaf and dumb spirit? Why was it called deaf and dumb? Because that it was named the name of, of the effect that it had on humans. Are you with me? So when, this, when God calls this principality origin, He's talking about the effect that this prince has on humankind, or in this case, globally, because this is a prince over the world. It, it questions the origins. Now, this will sound like it's not going to make sense, but follow me for a minute. In Philippians 4.15, Paul wrote this. You yourselves know, Philippians, that at my first, at my first preaching of the gospel, I'll stop there. You yourselves know, Philippians, at, the fir- at my first preaching of the gospel. The two words, first preaching, are the one word, Greek word, origin. You're like, okay, I- I'm totally lost. Let me explain to you. Paul said, when I came to you, Philippians, I preached the origins of the gospel. I gave you the foundations of the kingdom so that you could see the kingdom through the, the actual origins That God's first intention, his beginnings. Are you with me? What does the spirit of origin do? It redefines the origins of God. For example, were you really made in the image of God? Because Genesis 1 said, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And by the way, seven times God said, let us make the fish after their kind. Let us make the cattle after their kind. Let us make the birds after their kind. And seven times God says, after their kind, after their kind, after their kind. The next verse says, and God said, let us make man in our image, after our kind. How many know you were not made after the ape kind? You were not made after the amoeba kind? You were made after the God kind. God made everything after its kind, and you were made after the God kind. That's why you're a son or daughter of God. Are you with me? But the enemies, the spirit of origin, comes in and said, were you really made in the image of God? Or were you an evolutionized amoeba? Or maybe you're a really smart ape. Are you with me? I'm saying that he creates, he creates new preachings, new teachings that question the origins of God so that you no longer feel like a daughter or a son of God. Now you're just a smarter animal than any other animal. And I would propose that we used to kill animals and protect people. And when you change the origin, we kill people and we protect animals. It's kind of funny to me. <laughs> yeah, it's sad, right? I mean, we, we <laughs> it's funny to me. People, I mean, I, I know I, I love uh, science. I'm definitely no scientist, but I, I've loved science. I've read a lot of science books. Um, God's in, uh, Romans 1 says God's invisible. Uh, God's, God can be seen through creation. And so I study creation looking for God in creation. God's invisible attributes, eternal powers, divine nature are clearly seeing what God made. So you, so true science, not fake science, will actually lead you to the creator. Because God never makes something that he isn't. But I love this. It's like, yes, and I, you know, the, the Big Bang Theory is funny to me because they're like, and these molecules got together, and I know it's a lot bigger than this, and I do understand this part of this, their story. And, 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 you know, and there was this big bang, and poof, this bang. And I'm like, wait a second, where'd you get the molecules? See, the challenge is, even if you believe in evolution, you have to borrow some God stuff to get there. And then, and then they make sense of things by going, well, it took a billion years. Others over billions of years. It's like two Volkswagens ran into each other and a Corvette drove out. And you're like, that's ridiculous. Oh, brother, it took a billion years. Oh, for God. I forgot about that. And somehow, if you just increase the amount of times they bang, it just all makes sense. Surely if they bang for a billion years, stupid me. Why didn't I think of that? And wait, and then the rock came alive. How that happened took a billion years. That took a billion years. Actually, that took a hundred billion years. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Somehow, if you leave it there longer, it's logical. These are the smart people on the earth. Origin. Origin is changing the definitions of God's beginnings. Is that really a child or is it just a fetus? I remember when I was young, we used to say, is it a boy or a girl? Now we have to ask if it's human. Is this one human? I know you had one human. Is this your second human or is this one not a baby? How about this one? Are you really a boy? Maybe you're a girl. I know you have a penis and and your DNA says you're a boy. But what if you're really a girl? Are you supposed to really marry the opposite sex? But what if you're not? See, and you know what happens when you're under the spirit of origin? Things that are ridiculous seem really logical. They seem really logical. You know why? Because you are not processing here. You're processing in the second heaven. And things that don't make any sense very intelligent people believe because they're under a spirit that is actually working in the sons of disobedience. But where do you sit? You sit in the third heaven. See, as long as you stay in the third heaven, you're going to be cultural architects who mold history because you have authority and power. But how many you know when you get in the second heaven and you're fighting other people, or you stay in the first heaven and accuse other people, how many you know you're not shaping anything? I want to talk to you about praying the prayers of faith. In Matthew chapter 17, you can go there. The disciples, three disciples have just come down from the mountain. You remember the Mount Transfiguration? Peter, James, and John went If Ringo would have went, they would have had a band, but there was no music playing. And they come down from the mountain, and nine disciples are trying to cast a demon out of a boy. Do you remember the story? And as soon as they come down from the mountain, immediately, dad runs up to, the boy's dad, runs up to Jesus and said, hey, you guys couldn't cast a demon out of my son. Like, you know, can you help me? And I'm sure the, the nine disciples are like, and plus they didn't get to go on the mountain. Jesus only takes the really spiritual ones up there, and then they can't cast the demon out. I'm sure they're, like, they're just not having a really good day. And Jesus turns around, casts the demon out immediately, and they're like, hey. So it, it, we pick up with this. It says, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, hey. How come we couldn't do that? And Jesus said, because you're not Peter. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry. He said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, and nothing will be impossible to you. I, I, I like Jesus' words here. He says to the disciples, the disciples are like, hey, how come we couldn't do that? Like we prayed the same prayer. You prayed, we did all the things you told us to do it. He wouldn't leave. And Jesus said, because of the littleness of your faith. For if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, <laughs> you could say to this mountain, move and be moved. What well, Jesus just said to them, like, your faith is smaller than a mustard seed. <laughs> like, you're like an atom that we don't even have a word for yet. Your faith, you know a mustard seed? Yeah. Well, faith is smaller than that. <laughs> oh. That's why we couldn't get, what you, Matthew, what did he say? He said, our faith is smaller than a mustard seed. And if we grew it to a mustard seed, we could cast a demon out. But because it's more than that, we suck. Actually, actually, that's not what he said. The word smaller or that that word the size of mustard seed your faith because of the littleness of your faith that word littleness does not refer to the size but how long you keep it in the fight it's actually the word briefly he wasn't saying your faith was even smaller than a mustard seed he said you didn't keep your mustard seed in the fight long enough that's why you couldn't cast it out Are you with me? Jesus tells the story in Luke 18. You'll probably remember it. And it starts like this. Now he was telling them, Jesus telling the disciples, a parable to show them that all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. And he says, in a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God, did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city. And she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection for my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterwards he said to her, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, she will continually come to me and she's going to wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge did. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry day and night, and we will not delay over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will we find faith on the earth. I love the story. I love the story because it reminds me that it isn't how much faith I have, but how I keep it in the fight. And he tells this story about a woman who comes to an unrighteous judge, and she's like, give me protection. Give me protection. Hey, 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 give me protection. Are you annoyed yet? He was. And the judge goes, not because I respect God or man, and I don't even like this widow. But she's going to wear me out if I don't give her what she wants. And God goes, that's how prayer works. I don't know if you got what he just said. He just he told the parable to teach them that they ought to pray and not lose heart. And then he goes, hey, you want to know how to never have an unanswered prayer? Yeah, don't stop praying. And then he, and then he asked this question. After he, gives the, after he gives them that parable, he said, but when the Son of Man comes, will we find faith on the earth? Relating directly to not how much, but the perseverance, of, the perseverance of prayer. Will I find faith on the earth is directly related to will you keep praying? We call it push. It means pray until something happens. Pray until, how long do I pray? Until something happens. I've been prayed for, brother. People write me all the time. God bless them. I know how it feels. So do you. And they're like, I I went to Bethel. I got prayed for five times and I'm still sick. What should I do? Get prayed for again. I got prayed for five times. Yeah, you're not healed, right? Yeah. Get prayed for again. What will that do? It'll pray for you again. (laughs) Have you ever heard of a miracle that happened instantly, I hear about them all the time, and I realize it takes God a long time to act suddenly. <laughs> that person's like, guy came up, he, I, he prayed for me, and, 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 and listen, look at my knee. It was like God formed a new knee. How did that happen? He's like, I don't know, he prayed for me, and instantly I got well. What he didn't tell you has been going up there for six years. How many of you have heard miracles like that? You're like, that's amazing. And you think, I'm gonna go up there, and I'm gonna get prayed for, and I'm gonna get well. And God bless you, I hope you do. But if you don't, go get prayed for again. Yeah. How many times? Till you get well. Yeah. You know, do you, would you agree with this? I love the millennials. I really do love them. And, and Generation Z, or I don't even know what comes after that, hopefully. Maybe they named them Z because they don't think there's gonna be another one, but. I think we start all over with A again, what we call them, the next generation A's. You guys are a bunch of A's. Whatever. As imposed to A through Z. Oh, anyway, gosh, that didn't come out the way in a minute. Anyway. I love the millennials, like they're the most creative generation in history of the world. There's been more change in the last 50 years than in the last 5,000 years combined. But the one thing that happens when you create so many things, is that you begin to think that everything's supposed to happen instantly. We have instant gratification, we got instant food, we got instant oatmeal, we got instant everything. I eat instant bacon. <laughs> you buy it from Costco, I put it in the microwave. 30 seconds, I got bacon. Now I know it took a pig a long time to make it, but anyway, we're gonna go on. I know. And I thank Jesus for the new covenant. Every time I eat bacon. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I feel the same. Mark 11:23. I, I want to talk a little bit about prayer through proclamation. Mark 20:11:23. 20, Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, "Be taken up," And cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. Next verse. Therefore I say to you, all things which you pray and ask, believe that you have past tense, receive them, and they shall be granted to you. Do you know what complaining is? Complaining is to the devil what worship is to God. When we pray, it's encumbered on us. It's encumbered on us as believers. What are you? I'm a believer. Then why are you praying with no faith when you are inherently a believer? When I pray, I pray the will of God until I see the will of God happen. I begin to not just pray, but did you see it says, if you say to this mountain, be removed. I don't think it. I don't pray it. I speak to mountains. We started a prayer meeting about, uh, I don't know, eight months ago. Angelo and I started a prayer meeting. It's just one hour long. It's Thursday mornings um, from eight to nine. And we pray just for government stuff. We pray for our city. We pray for our nation. We pray for other nations. We pray, sometimes we put the most wanted, like we put the 30 most wanted people up on the, on the PowerPoint and with their pictures and their names, and we break up into groups and we pray because how many know those are God's most wanted? And we pray for the most wanted, but then here's what we do we pray until we get a prophecy for them, and then we begin to prophesy to say, Jim Jones, we say, Jim Jones, God says, and now we aren't just praying, we're making proclamations over Jim Jones, Jim Jones, you are a noble man. God says, you're an Isaiah 61 man, you are a broken captive and you're gonna go rebuild cities and we begin to prophesy and there's only about, you know, 30 to 100 people in there, but we get with it. I'd rather have 30 people who believe than 10,000 people who are trying to figure out what day it is. That's not you, you got here on Sunday. could save Chris Jesus is in the sorry that was a joke in Luke 8 Jesus is in a boat with his disciples now he has already said to the disciples let's go to the other side let's go to the other side he made a proclamation let's go to the other side they get in the boat you know the story Bill's told it many times Jesus told it first and Jesus goes to sleep in the boat and they end up in a storm. How many of you have ever felt like life is like that? Jesus said, go here. You go there. And there's a storm. You're like, hey, hey, how come I obey you and things go wrong? <laughs> and Jesus is sleeping in the boat. And this is Bill's quote. You know, you can only have authority over the storm you can sleep in. So they wake Jesus up and they're like, do you not care we're perishing? Jesus wakes up. You know the story. He rebukes the storm. And then he looks at the guys and he says this to him, Where... Is your faith? Where, where is your faith? Remember the last time he rebuked him. He said, "If you had you had little faith, why couldn't you do the miracle? Because the littleness of faith." This time he goes, "Okay, you got it. Where is it?" And the point is, is that their faith was in him doing it. And his point is, I told you we're going to the other side. Why didn't you use your faith to stop the storm? Why'd you wake me? And what I'm getting at is in prayer, often we're asking God to do things that in the third heaven we have authority to do. See, in the third heaven, we are not just praying to God, we're praying with God. We are seated in heavenly places with God, and we have the authority that God has. We have authority over the earth. I don't have to come to, I don't have to turn to God and go, God, will you? And God goes, I put you in authority, do something about it. Can you imagine if I said to Bill, Bill, you know, I have this problem with my my, my, my school ministry and I, I, I just need you to do something about it. He'd be like, I put you in charge of that. Why are you asking me about that? And what I'm getting at is oftentimes we don't know we're in charge. Okay. Have you ever walked through your city and you see something going wrong? Whatever. Maybe it's homelessness. Maybe it's... Whatever. And, and, and you're walking through your city and you see this problem and you go, why doesn't someone do something about that? You know why you thought that? Because you're the one who has authority to do something about that. Thank you. Prophetic prayer moves mountains. I see what God says he wants to do and then... I say it. I become the proclaimer, the declarer. I say, mountain, you must move. I look around at California, and I see where we're going in the area of morality, and I, and I can stay down here in my, you know, first heaven, and oh, oh no, look at all the immoral people. They're taking over the earth. Oh my God, things are terrible. God, what are you going to do about this? He says, I already did. I put you In heavenly places, this isn't my problem. This is your problem. God, when are you going to do something about the immoral people taking over California? I did something. I moved you to California. But God, they scare me. What's going to happen if they don't like me? Well, they didn't like me. And it ended well. I died for the world. I got the keys back. I gave them to you. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, I command and entrust you, Timothy, my son, with accordance, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you'd fight the good fight and keep the faith. Timothy, I want to remind you of the prophecies that were spoken over you. So that by them, by what? The prophecies. You'd fight the good fight. I remember years ago, and I've told this story many times, but I had a nurse breakdown, lasted three and a half years. And one of the things that happened in about year two and a half is that we had, we obviously lived in Weaverville. Bill was our pastor, and we had a men's retreat, which I had never been to a men's retreat. And I did not like to be in small places because I had uh, real bad social anxiety and panic attacks. So the guys were like, hey, we're going to go on this retreat, and we're going on a retreat. If you think Weaverville's far, it's three hours from Weaverville. Like, seriously, they haven't even mapped it yet. That was kind of a joke, but the, it's it's called Bar 717. Like, it's past the world. And so, finally, my, my friends kept asking me, and asking me, and asking me, and I'm like, okay, so Charlie Harper comes and picks me up, and there's six of us in the in this car and we're driving to bar 717. And I am like trying to not have a panic attack in the car and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you know, all these men, there's 70 of us and I, I was just like freaking out. And then they said this, yeah, and there's a prophet who's gonna be our guest speaker. I'm like, oh crap, I mean, it doesn't get worse than that. And I'm thinking <laughs> he's gonna call me out he's gonna tell me about all the bad stuff I'm thinking and thing prophecies that I, oh, this is gonna be bad. And so I'm, I start confessing my sins, not even the ones I, I'm, I'm talking about the ones I haven't done yet, like the ones I might do. i confessing things I've, I've thought about when I was in the womb. <laughs> we get to the retreat center and we get, you know, in the session, it's like seven o'clock session, and I sit all the way at the back. And I'm back there and I'm praying. I'm like, God, please don't let him call me out. Please, please, please. And then I think of another thing I did wrong. And I'm like, oh, God, I I forgive. Ask me, Lord, I ask you to forgive me for for stealing when I was three. I remember stealing that apple. I was just like, I was confessing everything I can confess. And so uh, Dick Joyce, the prophet guy, gets up front and he opens his Bible. and He goes, I think I'm supposed to minister to a few people first. And I'm like, "Oh, oh, not me. I'm not a people. And then he looks at me and he goes, you in the back, come up here. And he calls me and Charlie Harper and one other guy, I think he prophesied over Charlie first, and I'm sitting there and I am soaked to my underwear. <laughs> I am out of my mind in anxiety. And then he looks. I finishes with Charlie and he looks at me and he goes, you have been through a terrible storm. You have been through a terrible storm, but you are a man of God and you are a pillar in the house of God and you and your wife shall be pillars in the house of God, and you shall teach my people the ways of the kingdom and you will travel the world teaching my people the ways of the kingdom, and you will take your family with you, and you will bring your children with you, and your children. And then he said this to me, you will not outgrow your children. Your children will go with you. Your chi- you and he said five times to me, your family will come first. Your children will grow with you. I will not let you grow beyond your children. Pour yourself into your wife and your children, for your family shall be pillars in the house of God. Kathy transcribed that, with a, of course, in those days with a typewriter, three pages. I folded it up, I put it in my pocket, and I carried it with me for three years. It was covered in sweat, you know how you pull it out and the type's like running down the page. Every time I'd have a panic attack, which was several times a day, I'd take it into the bathroom with me and I would read it. You are not a wimp. You are not a bowl of jelly. You are a pillar in the house of God. You shall be a teacher in the house of God. Your family shall teach with you. They shall be pillars in the house of God. What was I doing? I was taking the prophetic word that was spoken over me, and I was using it to fight the good fight. Are you with me? I was using it to fight the good fight. How many know God doesn't just do that in our personal lives? God does that in our corporate lives and over our cities and over nations. I don't have time to pull all the scriptures, but I I have another 10 pages. But... In the days of Daniel, who was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, the Babylonians came into Jerusalem. They took, they, they beat the Israelites in battle. They tore down the beautiful Solomon Temple, and they carried all the people off as POWs in a foreign land. But you know what happened? They carried off Daniel. And you know what Daniel did? He prayed three times a day. He opened his windows towards Jerusalem. He's in Babylon, but he opens his windows towards Jerusalem, and he prays three times a day. You know what he's praying? Have you ever thought, what did Daniel pray three times a day? I'll tell you what he prayed. He prayed Isaiah 45, which was written 100 years. Get this, 100 years before Cyrus was born. Daniel is praying Isaiah 45. What does Isaiah 45 say? There will be a king. His name will be Cyrus. I'm going to give him hidden treasures and secret places of darkness. You know what's interesting? First of all, Isaiah prophesied that 100 years before Cyrus was born. But guess what else happened? He prophesied that before Daniel knew that Cyrus, there was a man named Cyrus. Daniel's praying that prayer. You know what else he's praying? He's praying the prayer of Jeremiah 29. Prophet, Jeremiah prophesied that the people of God would be taken away for 70 years. But in the 70th year, a man named Cyrus would let them go. Guess who was serving Cyrus in the 70th year? Daniel. And in the 70th year, the Bible says that Daniel was reading Jeremiah, and he noticed that Jeremiah said the 70th year he would let God's people go. And, it, and Daniel said, and the, Bible, the, the book of Daniel says, and Daniel saw that they were in the 70th year. He was praying toward Jerusalem for 70 years, and then he realized, hey, I can't just pray. Today's the 70th year. I'm saying it didn't just require prayer. It required him to go to Cyrus and say, hey, dude, your name's in the book, and it's the 70th year. Hello, goodbye, let us go. <laughs> and not only, let me finish with this, did Cyrus let the people go, but what was not prophesied is that Cyrus would pay for all the rebuilding of the temple. Cyrus didn't just let the people go, he did exceedingly abundantly more than you ask or think. He let the people go and he paid a billion dollars towards the rebuilding of the temple. What I'm getting at is this, you're not just changing your history through prophetic declarations, you're you're changing our history through prophetic declarations. Would you stand? This morning, when I was up front, one of our leaders came over to me during worship in first service, and he said, I had this vision of you. Is it all right if I share it? I'm like, yeah. He said, I had this vision, and everyone had their hands out, and you were handing every single person a sword, and it said, history maker on it. And he said, I don't think you're just preaching. I think you're equipping the saints to shape history. So I'd like you just to put your hands out like this. And if you're watching by Bethel TV, you can just join us right here. You're a history maker also. And if you're in the overflow room, anywhere you hear my voice, just put your hands out like this because I believe that prophetic declaration is true. I believe I'm gonna equip you right now with something that you don't have. Not because I'm anybody special, but because I'm God's anointed today. Remember, you prayed for me. So now God's anointed is going to give you a sword and you're gonna take this sword and you're gonna shape history with it the sword. Lord, we just release swords in this room, not swords to cut people's ears off, not swords to attack humans, but sword of the Lord to fight against the demonic princes of palates, to shape history towards the king and his kingdom, to defeat the enemy on his own turf, and to begin to shape history towards the king and his kingdom, until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God, and history becomes his story. Amen. Everybody say, I receive it for myself. God bless you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvellton.com. Have an awesome day.